and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is Sharita Warner. Sharita's collection, Test Piece, is a finalist for the 2023 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. In this episode, Sharita and I talk about having a noticing practice and how asking questions without the expectation of answers shapes her work. Sharita starts our episode with a reading. I'm going to read from Test Piece uh, on a clear day. And it takes its sort of form from a series of silkscreen prints Agnes Martin did on a clear day. One minute I'm an empress laid out on a marble slab, gold coins over my eyes, jewels at my feet. And the next, my sleep mask slips as an alarm disrupts and a hand lifts to silence. Doubleness, and should I drift from? Day opens like a curtain, I shrug inside. First, water, kettle, blue claw of flame, three counterclockwise turns to bloom the grinds. Anemone's leafy fringe lifts my spirits. Dollop of whip in coffee lifts my esprit. A pint of blueberries in tiny crowns appoint me ruler of this expanse. I crack the patio door for air. Felted fish dolls stir above the sink. The artist hid crystals in some and not others, not sure which I have, but here they hang at the hearth of all rituals. A clear domestic space is a clear psychic space. Before email, class prep, mama, have you seen my, I make my move. A book planted with colorful flags initiates a rhythm. Get a little contact high from language. A jolt improves me. Jumpstart for the mind's engine. Stimulants appreciate in value. Apply steadfast with clear senses. Out from the center, long horizontal Bands alternate blue, alternate blue, blue, alternate light blue, gray, silver, light, light blue. A set of gestures opens the frequencies. Toaster pop signals the soft poach is ready to be lifted from the roiling pot. A pouch I could stuff all my things into, attached to a stick. Don't worry, I assure the succulents, the seasoned cast iron. Above the table, a photo of a space I once inhabited, a version of myself recast back to me. Stuck between my own patterns, this kitchen's grid of tiles, email, brush your teeth, did you sunscreen? What if it is what you mean? Repetition leads to fluency. A sheer weave requires tending a pure concentration, no distraction. Hold open a space for the impulse to dip and flare, where the threads shift 
careful, a tendency to bruise. Disturb the weave away from its woven uniformity. My son interrupts to ask if he can extend his screen time. Dishes flourish in the sink. The sheer height sets a new precedent. I make my move, perform underwater sonatas with the cutlery, train my attention out beyond the ginkgo and maple as an elderly terrier is coddled up the street in the arms of its master. What does she whimper in the dog's ear? How earthly we behave, believing we're alone. With a clear surface and a little give, the mind thrives. Catch in hand a phrase or line, then pull taut. Don't overwork it. A sticky note on the bay window, fields of inquiry. Soften the dust cloth, cinch my sleep shirt, and vanna around the apartment, stimulating with a light touch various neglected surfaces, porcelain, wool, parquet. Joy the fixtures, freshen the adages. Disturb with a circular motion particulate matter before it accumulates. Add to the list as I go. Tub stopper, white vinegar, all over color, flowers for vi, art in time. Gestures of care and reparation, infinite forces, a placement of intervals, and the grid appears to waver. Perceive in glimpses, sleek as filament, confluence of threads, shifts in precise increments, disperse just as quick. Fish slip through the reeds of sentences, crystals activate in caves, broom rasp on, rasp on pavement as the neighbor sweeps the lot just out of sight. Way back in the closet's dark, moths ruche holes into cuffs and pockets of cardigans, late, late fragments. Turn the record, turn the clay pots, turn toward the automated voice going by. You have reached your destiny. Syllabus, text CNH back, running from plant blades impale air. Backlit outside shadows intensify predatory. Upstairs chairs grind hard against hardwood. The neighbor's voice amplifies making fun of his baby's cries. From the patio, I banish detritus from the rugs, come back inside perfected with bite, bite marks, crescent shadows from the eclipse, everyday things mistaken for everyday things, napkin swans, salami roses. Repetition, a mode of protection, delicate calibration with a steady hand, a simple in and out flat weave, loosely woven, nets the wild tax. I use my powers to activate the fish, silver now gliding into the caulking between tiles, smash them underfoot in ashy heaps, unfinished elegies. A clear domestic space is a clear psychic space. Drag the seaweed of my hair from the drain. Is there a poem here called Self? 
a comb missing three teeth. Wipe the mirror clean with my face inside. A constant negotiation with real consequences, shrewd parameters, a rigid weave encroaches. A hand loosely mends the damages. Out walking, I have no real belongings. My body invents a new cadence, falling in step with the sidewalks in congruent lines as my mind traffics in dreams. Time for a shrimp cocktail? Spinach dip in a bread bowl? An argument cuts through leaf-shirred light. I want to make you happy but don't know how. And the park's self-cleaning public toilet trips its own alarm. Alternate blue, alternate blue-gray, alternate light, light. Is this the form I come home to? Cells are facts on the face of my pillowcase. Bright chimes sound from another room, remote as real fortune. Late afternoon unclasps, a table pulled apart to make room for more leaves. I miss the younger body within this one, and the body within that one, and so on. Take the misshapen beanbag chair for my throne, tug off my bralette, loosen myself within the structure. I didn't make it to see on a clear day, but when I turn from sink to photograph, yes, these infinite interiors coax life out of me. When he wakes, my son will use the dark parts to check if his hair is sticking up. Motifs appear and reappear, catching up with me. Loud checks, interlocking geometries, cast off ends. Now, what is it I'm looking for? In glass, the open form assembles line by line. Thank you. I love that poem. I don't, there was something about it. I I don't, I love, the, like it is, yeah. it's about everyday things. Like when you mentioned the, the salami <laughs> roses and the the napkin swans, it's like, yes, yeah, so, but the whole thing is about everyday things, but it's just like, there's the one bit that I want to make you happy, but I don't know how, like that, that line. <laughs> and I'll say a little yeah. bit more about the Agnes Martin link. So I was picturing her in her studio creating these repetitions, these grid marks, these silkscreen printing. And that process is very labor intense and it's also really precise. And she was shifting the grid a little bit each time. So each grid is a little bit different. And I was thinking I was sort of adding that to how my process is as I'm making poems. And so you need that repetition and that ritual, but it's also so hard to maintain that re repetition and, and ritual and have it be really generative or productive. And then as you see in the poem, there's always all these little interruptions. And then there's the consequence also of as creative people, when we live with other people, <laughs> We we sort of shut them out a little bit sometimes when we're making things. And I really wanted to show that there's not just this romantic notion to making, but there's real consequences to shutting yourself into a room and writing for an extended amount of time. So, uh, yeah, the dailiness accumulates, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful piece. All right, my first question for you. I'm not doing a challenging skill testing question like I did last year. Although this question is possibly Uh equally skill testing. It is, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) The most intense question. Um, Who am I? I think that's a question I was asking with this book, actually. And in a way, the poems, I was hoping they would kind of assemble and accumulate associatively to give me an answer to that question. (laughs) I don't think I knew who I was at the time when I first started writing the book. And now I have a better sense of myself, um, even though I am putting off answering your question directly. (laughs) Uh, I'm a teacher. And um, I pay a lot of attention to the world around me, and I pay a lot of attention to my students. Uh, So I would characterize myself as a noticer, so a poet, I guess. I am a swimmer. I like to do laps. I like to go and walk and look at art. I like to look at a lot of art online, but I also like to just uh, wander around the city and find little um, coffee shops and find little art galleries and just sit in the gallery for an extended amount of time and look at art. That's something that is very me. And yeah, who am I? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's an answer. I I I keep thinking like I feel like the answer to that question changes mm-hmm. every day. And and you mentioned how you know with test piece it was kind of a maybe an an trying to answer that question. And I almost wonder if you know are you are you trying to answer that question a little bit with every book and then therefore each book is a different representation of who you are in that yeah, moment absolutely every poem yeah. maybe like every every note I take in leading up to a book becomes this um self-discovery process of self-discovery even if the poems themselves are not necessarily about the self they're about different things but uh definitely a tool for seeing myself or reflected mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, I love that you you talked about yourself as a noticer uh, because when we you did a workshop oh, yes. for a group of students at Westview <laughs> Elementary last week as part of our virtual school tours, and you had them do an observing a noticing exercise. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your noticing practice and how you how you make sure that's like actively included in your writing. Cause I could see, like, I feel like I'm always noticing, but I'm not so good at like writing it down so that I don't forget when I sit down at my computer. But how do you make sure those two intersect in your work, the noticing and then Mm. the poetry? Well, I think that they're sort of one in the same. I think you, one needs an active attentiveness in order to, really notice I think you remember in the class I asked the students and these are like a bunch of grade threes uh three fours I think uh to notice what you think no one else has noticed and that seems to be like a really strong current in 
my practice as well. What am I noticing that I think other people are distracted and not paying attention to? What am I noticing that recurs? You know, and so just my walk up to take the bus every day becomes an act of or a practice of noticing what's going on around me. Uh, the other day, there was a really amazing pair of, of velvet pumps just laying on the sidewalk in this very artful way. And I thought that was really beautiful. And so I sometimes my practice has something to do with taking photographs first and then going through my photographs and making notes in my notebook. So that can be an aid to memory exactly to remind myself mm -hmm. to write down that little thing that I noticed. And I don't really know what I'm doing with those elements right away. I'm just gathering and gathering and gathering. And so I think that's where the unexpected lives when it comes to translating it into language. I think those are like that crushed velvet of, um, of the pump this beautiful pump that I found on the ground is going to maybe translate into something else when it gets into the poem. Um, yeah, so there's that aspect of it. And then this idea that noticing leads to defamiliarization, which is just the exact thing that the whole book is about, which is about seeing and seeing differently and seeing from different angles. And uh, that is when I re-see the world again and introduces new layers or new insights or discoveries about what I'm looking at and how it relates to me or how it relates to my themes that I'm thinking through at the time. So yeah, there's a notebook involved, there's a camera involved, and then there's just the reminder to keep paying attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you write ekphrasis poems? Yeah, I'm not no, that's saying good. that right, am e I? <laughs> I heard that it just sounds like emphasis. Ekphrasis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so you write ekphrasis poems. Um, for those listening who don't know what those are, what is that kind of poetry? Ekphrasis is, you know, in its most sort of literal translation is writing about art or describing an artwork. Uh, and it's a really long and rich tradition in poetry. It's changed, you know, over centuries. And there's some wonderful examples. Uh, one I can think of is John Ashbery's self-portrait in Convex Mirror. That's sort of a foundational, postmodern, ekphrastic text that is also a form of portraiture. Uh, it's a really beautiful, exciting, long poem. And um, yeah, and for me, ekphrasis is looking at something slowly and for a long time. So uh, an artwork, a portrait, for example, or a more abstract painting, and just writing down what, I, what I'm seeing, exactly what I'm seeing, and then letting a little bit of the exterior world to come in, uh, where the painting kind of takes me in terms of a memory or a thought or a phrase or a word and then riffing on that as I go. So it's not so much just describing the work, although that can be super generative and exciting, but also writing through the work back into the world, into the present tense. 
And how did you come to exploring that form and, and what inspires you about it? I think I got to the end of my own interest in writing autobiographical poems. And so I wanted to, rather than retell stories, say, from my memory, I wanted to look outside of myself and see what I was seeing. So I think it was just kind of like getting bored with my own <laughs> materials. <laughs> so I wanted to look at outside of me to see to see what I was um, drawn, by, drawn in by. I guess I would characterize it as forms of encounter and just having these really vivid and exciting encounters with art and it sticking with me and kind of reverberating and staying in my mind and realizing, oh, there's something here. I'm going to keep thinking about this. I'm going to research more about this painting or I'm going to do this, this work and see where it takes me. So uh, maybe the I think I've always been writing ekphrastic poems, even without even knowing that I was doing it. Uh, in my first book, I wrote a book about, I wrote a long poem about Georgia O'Keeffe, and that included me taking a trip to the desert and all of the debacles that occurred in this, like, <laughs> pursuing this, like, beautiful artist that I love. Um, not being able to really see much of her art or wanting to go to Ghost Ranch, which was where her studio was, and there being no buses there, me kind of expecting I'd be able to like take some transit. And they're like, no, you have to rent a car. And I like, I don't drive. And so that was just ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. And then I wrote uh, about, I've written about Yoko Ono, a piece that I saw of hers that was in Tokyo. I've written about Vancouver photographer Jeff Wall, a photograph of his. And yeah, and then in this collection, I write about Ava Hesse and Agnes Martin borrowing her form, not, not necessarily responding directly to her work, but borrowing her approach and her form, that repetitive mode. And um, yeah, and there's other there's other folks in here too. So yeah, I think it was just wanting to um, pay attention to my encounters and the the vibrations they were sending off. And and there is art, there's visual pieces in the collection. Uh, could you talk a little bit about those pieces? Yeah, there are four uh, collages that I created. So the original photographs are mine. And they're of various in interior spaces. So my kitchen, my bedroom, my living room. And then there's one from a stay in the Leighton residencies at Banff. So you'll see kind of, it's sort of hard to tell, but there's a huge piano in the middle of the room. <laughs> so that's the that's the resident, that's the little cabin that I got to stay in. And it had this oh, wow. huge piano and I just laid my poems out all over the top of the piano that's how I use that piano in that space so uh, yes they are collages so first I took the photographs and I photocopied them and then I used transparency paper and photocopied versions earlier versions of the poems directly onto the photographs and then photocopied that again so you get like a really flat plane 
Um, but you also get my handwriting and versions of the poems in their earlier state. And this was really, for me, a nod to the process of making. And, and that's what a lot of these poems are about, this process of making. So I really wanted to include some of the um, some of the work that happens outside of the poem and make it visible. Do you work, do you write a lot of your poetry by hand first or yeah? Yeah, I'm an old school, print it out and mark it up and, you know, really run, run it through its paces. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Another uh, thing that came up, it's, it's interesting because I, I spent time with your collection after the workshop with kids and I was like, oh, look at this. Because you, you also had uh, the kids uh, asking questions. And, and you are doing this a lot in your work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of un questions just put out there, which I think we often do. There's like, I think we should be doing is just questioning and wondering without the need to necessarily find an answer. And you also, I, I noticed, because I always read the acknowledgements, mm. like the dork that I am, uh, I <laughs> and love. noticed that you um, mentioned Ian's thoughtful questions in in your work. And and I just wondered, you know, how do how does asking questions and engaging with questions help you in your writing process? Yeah, that's a really lovely question. Um, in a poem, I find a question to be a really, it, one of those moments that strikes me. So when I'm, when I'm reading other people's poems, I love a question because I think it's just this beautiful opening into the mind of the poet or the speaker, the, the persona. So I get excited by questions. But I also think um, there's an there's a process of inquiry happening all the time when I'm making poems, and there's a curiosity there. I think that it links to attentiveness, right? So there's this this idea that there's something out there that is worth noticing, and what is it telling me, or why am I noticing it, or those things activate my imagination. So, uh, yeah, I really. Um, I think this process of inquiry is sort of a new thing for me, and I've been using it a lot in the classroom. And I think that it's more embodied, like I don't really know what the questions are when I'm setting out, and then they occur to me as I go. And it's often when I'm moving around in the world, taking walks or hanging out with friends or, and I just it just noticed that moment. And I'm like, okay, I've got to write that down. And not knowing is kind of at the heart of a, of a poetic practice anyways, being okay and comfortable with uncertainty, being okay, like you said, with not having answers to things, really letting yourself sit with those moments uh, and be okay with not having um, the answer right away or, or at all, <laughs> ever. <laughs> It kind of makes me think of how we as people, we don't like silence and we don't like, you know, extended pauses and conversation. And so it's like this, I feel like an unanswered question kind of exists in that same space where like we as people, we don't like that. There's this discomfort and, and it, it does, it takes, it takes a real like practice and like knowing yourself to be comfortable in those spaces and and just the creativity that can come out of those two spaces. Like I, I worked in broadcast journalism for a long time and 
I often wanted to fill silence because it's like such a human instinct to like not have silence. But as soon as you let that space exist, something amazing can happen there, but you have to be willing to sit in that discomfort. You do. And the estrangement. And you notice that the kids actually have a really easy time of asking questions. They had a ton of questions and they knew how to ask questions. And I think they were genuinely curious in some of their questions. And uh, when it gets to the when you get older, it becomes harder for you to let that uncertainty sit. It gets harder. It's scarier to not know yeah Mm -hmm. it's harder too for us to say i don't know i think that's like a big i think as as adults we like to know and we like to have answers and when we don't have answers and saying i don't know it's or admitting that we what we thought we knew was wrong is a is a hard thing yeah and so much of the work that i do with these lovely writers that i get to work with uh at at ubc is guiding them to say, I don't know, and be okay with not knowing what they're doing yet, or to to live in that in- uncertainty a little bit. And it's so hard, you know, they'll come and they'll be like, I have this great idea, and it's going to be so great. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. <laughs> then I come, they come back and the idea doesn't work out, or the form doesn't work out. And like, what about this little thing over here that, what about this? And then it's scary. It is. It's genuinely a hard thing to do. And I just try to support them in that, in that questioning phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wondered about, I mean, it seems like for you, it's a balance of, you know, you the first thing you used to describe yourself when you I said, who are you, was teacher, which is really interesting um you having seen you work with those grade three fours uh it was fantastic and i i see how much working and engaging with the work of others is important to you but how do you strike that balance between being too out there with others and keeping some space to yourself yeah that's a great question i think in the last few years i've really had to practice that need I definitely need time alone and I definitely need time to um, a quiet space and a sort of tidy space, not just, I don't mean literally, but sometimes literally, but a tidy space in my mind. So I do have to have boundaries and how much I give. And um, I think I've started to think of, the work of teaching as a part of my poetic practice. So I don't feel like it's drawing on my energy as long as I'm also doing something for myself in the, at the same time. So one of the ways that I've managed to do this is I actually started to um, take up space at a studio. So uh, there's five other artists and me and I have my little desk and I do some collage there. And I also try to write in that space and do some reading. And I keep that space. I can't, I don't allow myself to bring any work into that space. It's only for poetic sort of activities. (laughs) It's a strong rule. 
So that has been really lovely and I feel really, really grateful for that space and for the people I share that space with. I also just get to watch the artists make things and they're so, their work is so visible, right? They're working on things and everyone can see it. There's no hiding it. And that's been great for me as well, not to be so precious about my process and to leave things out on my desk and to put things up on the walls that have to do with the poems that I'm thinking about or making right now or the experiments that I'm doing with language and stuff. So I think having that dedicated space in the city that is separate from my home and it's separate separate from my work has been a real game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, do you, I, I've stopped asking the question, what are you working on right now? Or because I know it is daunting uh <laughs> the look of shock and horror no. appears on everyone's face um but maybe you could uh talk about what it, what if anything is inspiring the work you're doing mm -hmm. right now so when i was writing test piece i looked over and i saw that there was this pile of books beside me that was like how to see the art of looking, slow looking, <laughs> seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees. Like these were the books that were right beside me. And it was like really late in the project that I was like, oh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so what I can tell you about my stack right now is that it has a lot to do with color. I'm reading a lot about the art of color and uh, researching different colors, taking photographs, making collages, uh, based on colors with my photos. So I don't know what it is yet, Megan, but there's there's my pile of books beside me telling me something. It's interesting because when I was reading, I always keep a little piece of paper to scribble things on when I'm reading a book for the podcast. And I wrote blue uh, yeah. on the piece of paper because yeah. it was just like that, that color was just saturated yes. in it was just like in every poem it's a great it was, word yeah saturated that's how it feels yeah yeah mm. and did you know like I, I'm curious like was that a thing you knew or no, no. and like fabrics too like fabrics yeah. everything yeah. was like woven and had like a texture like that textile quality and that one yeah. I was more intentional about and yeah okay. I think I saw the blueness especially in the iris fields yeah. and then in the 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 beautiful cover that Crystal Sigma designed and Amanda Wood did the art for her cyanotype. So yes, blueness became more intentional, but I, uh, I certainly didn't recognize it when I was first writing. Yeah. Yeah, blue, that's interesting. Blue is an impossible color. I find color really difficult to describe. And so I'm glad you found it resonated there anyways. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to describe color in a way that we haven't already described it before, I think is the challenge. That's the challenge. Yeah. So I'll let you know where this all leads. <laughs> that was Sharita Warner. Sharita is the author of Test Piece, which is a finalist for the 2023 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Lindsay Borgon. Lindsay is the author of Tree Thieves, Crime and Survival in North America's Woods. Tree Thieves is a finalist for the 2023 Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize. 
Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.